Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you. Pumped to have Tucker Max on the show today. Tucker is the co-founder of Scribe, a company that helps people share their story and turn their ideas into books. His company has published thousands of books, including numerous bestsellers and one book about a guy in a yellow tux. Tucker's personally written four New York Times bestselling books and sold over four million copies. Today, I'm pumped to dive deep into his experience building Scribe into the number one company culture in America by Entrepreneur Magazine. They're doing amazing things with their people, and I'm pumped to hear some of the secrets. So Tucker, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. All right, we're going to have some fun. Uh, first, I got to get a little backstory. And you started this company and you fired yourself. So can we just share a little of the background because you realized what you were good for and what you were terrible at? Yeah, that was one of those really, really painful, hard decisions. But as soon as I made it, I knew it was the right thing. So basically, we started off like just a game busters, man. Did 200000 our first month before we even had a business. And so like when people are writing you checks for something that you're not even trying to sell, that's the definition of product market fit, right? And so Zach and I did like a million and a, uh, two and a half million in the first like 18 months or something like that. And so like when we got to like a million, million and a half and things were amazing, everything's smooth sailing, our hires are all working out. We're like, we're business geniuses, obviously, right? And then we get to two and a half million and I mean, everything breaks, <laughs> like everything. So different benchmarks in different businesses. Yeah, yeah. For us, two and a half million was when we passed eight people, eight full-time. And then I think it was really, we got to about 10. And man, like, actually, no, sorry, it was 12. And so like, that's really when just the wheels came off. Like all of the flaws and errors we made came, like all the technical debt, all the process debt, all the operational debt bill came due. And like, we went from all of our customers loving us, thinking we're the greatest things ever. All these authors are telling us the amazing stories to like, it seemed like overnight, like half of our clients hated our guts. And it was like, what the just happened? Right. And it wasn't overnight. And so anyway, so at about that time, one of our clients was this guy named JT McCormick, who was the president of a software company in town called Headspring. They had like a hundred million dollar valuation or so. They they had some. They were basically B two B enterprise software. They had some huge clients: 3M, Koch Brothers, McCoy's Lumber. Like they were a big deal in Austin. And so he was doing a book about his crazy life story. Right, came from nothing. Projects. Dad was a literally. Dad was a literal pimp. His mom, you know, like uh, an orphan, like just horrible. And um, doing his life story book. And jokingly, I told him, like, because I went to his office to do the sort of sales call. I'm like, man, you seems like you got the CEO thing down. He's like, you know, you know, like I'm doing a few things all right, I hope. And I'm like, all right, well, you got to teach me how to do this. Because this is right. We're about two million, not quite two and a half. We're about to hit the wheels come off, but I can start to feel it here. And jokingly, I'm like, you got to teach me how to do this, right? And he stops and he looks at me and he goes, you serious? You serious? I'm like, yeah, I love that. He's like, all right, man. But just, I'll tell you, when I give you feedback, it's going to hurt. I won't be mean, but it's going to hurt. I'm like, okay, come on, try and hurt me, man. Like, I got this amazing company. It's doing amazing. I'm the business genius, a writer genius. 
And so like two weeks later, he does his onboarding call my team. And then I get a call pops up JT McCormick. I go, I'm like, what's up, man? Cause I'm feeling hot. I think, you know, it's going to be a team told me the call went great. He's like, Tucker, you want a feedback, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, I got it for you. And he tells me like two things we did well. And I'm like, that's right. We're doing great. And then he goes into like a 30 minute diatribe on everything we screwed up. And dude, like it was, you know, when someone calls you out, but every single thing is absolutely correct. And it's just a total gut punch and you have nothing to say. That's what the call was like. And I was like, and he wasn't mean about it, but it was so brutally honest. And I was like, oh man. And then like, it got to the point, man, where like I started dreading his name coming up. <laughs> uh, not because he was mean or bad. Like all his uh, feedback was amazing, but it was like, oh my God, I can't believe we're getting this much stuff wrong. <laughs> and like, yes. Uh, so anyway, so I asked him if he wants to be an advisor to the company. And he's like, I don't know, man. I'm not sure. And I'm like, well, everyone wants to be an advisor, like free equity or whatever. Like, he's like, I don't know, man. Like, let me come to an executive meeting. I'm like, of course, great. So he comes to an executive meeting and I'll spare you the whole details. But honestly, by the end of the meeting, he was running the meeting. Like it was me and JT and our director of operations. And this dude who like no one else knew was running our meeting, but it wasn't like he didn't take it over. He wasn't one of those ass- who comes in and like acts like he runs the place. It was just the most natural thing on earth. And so it was after that, I was like, dude, like we need more help. And he goes, I know. He's like, you guys need me. And I'm like, man, like I know, but like we got to get to 10 million before we can afford you. And he goes, you're not going to make it to 10 million without me. (laughs) And I was like, come on, you man. He's like, no. And he started detailing like, and I was just like, (laughs) right. So we basically got in a conversation and I was like, well, what do we do? He's like, well, make me offer. And I'm like, dude, like our revenue was your salary, you know, like we're not at your level. He's like, no, no, no. Like, and so turns out, man, like he didn't found the company he was at. The guy who did found it wasn't a fan of giving up equity and, you know, was paying JT a lot, but hadn't given him any, any ownership or whatever. And so, and I painted a picture to JT of where we were going and the vision for the company. JT was sold. And so gave him a piece and he came on board and now, you know, we're 20 million in sales and blah, blah, blah. And it's, I mean, it is all because of him, dude. Like I get credit, like, you know, like Jordan's dad gets credit kind of, you know, right. But Jordan, like he's the star. That's kind of what we are. Like, I'm almost like the dad and JT's like the kid. Uh, it's not that I'm his dad, but JT's like the star. And yeah. I'm like the one who, who like started the company. I didn't start JT, but we are who we are because... I fired. And here's the crazy thing, Jesse. So he comes on and he's like, he's such a humble dude. He's like, I'll come on as president. You stay CEO if you want. And I was like, I dude, I thought about it, man. I thought about it. And I was so close to saying yes. But then I was like, you know what? That would be a lie because everyone in the company would know that you were in charge and you were running stuff. And I'm not going to live a lie like that. I will be the most embarrassed of that. I will have to get up in the morning and look at myself and know I'm not the CEO of this goddamn company. You are. So let's just not lie to ourselves. Let's make you the CEO. Uh, And I told him, I'm like, dude, you don't even realize how much of a star you are. Mm -hmm. Like your book's going to come out and we're going to start doing content around you and everyone's going to want you. Which by the way, three years later, he just signed on. He's this amazing speaker. He just signed on to keynote. 4,500 person conference, the Raymond James conference for all their advisors, 4,500 people. 
and they're paying him like whatever, 25 grand or what? I mean, like not a huge fee, but a good solid keynote. And he called me up and I, I'm going to embarrass him. He's like, how did you know this was going to happen? I'm like, dude, I know a star when I see one, man. You were a fucking star, man. Like I didn't make you any of this. You just needed the opportunity. You just had, like, I know how to get stuff out there. And um, yeah, man, like that was like, you wanted a story. That's the story <laughs> of why I think, I don't even know what my role, my, my role in the company, I'm the, the, um, I'm the head of guided author, which is like our $12,000 product. So when you come to Austin and you, you want to write the book yourself, but you want our structure and guidance and support and then publishing help, you go into guided authors, 12 grand. When you do the workshop, I lead the workshop and I teach it. And I, I'm like really good at that. But like people think I'm like, oh yeah, you're the founder and you're running this. I'm like, no, dude, I'm like the figurehead. Yeah. JT is the guy who runs it. And I just talk a lot at the workshop. <laughs> like, I don't even go keynote. He's the one keynote. Yeah. Not even me. Well, it's clear, Tuck. I mean, you're giving a lot of credit. You found a star in JT. But, you know, really, while the company has grown so much, it's the culture that's been built with JT, with you that's doing it. But, you know, you think about, I see so many similarities and we're just steps behind. You know, we started 1 million, the next year, 2 million, the next year, 3 million, growing steadily. And we started with, I don't know if you knew this, but it was myself, my wife, our 24-year-old president, and three 22-year-olds. And we were working in an abandoned storage building on a picnic table. That's how we started here. And yeah. you know, we figured it out. And then we grew and we went to six people, eight people, 10 people, 12 people, 15 people. And we had zero turnover our first three years. And yeah. then this past two months, we've had four people leave. And they all they, came they to the finally, outside. They finally learned about what a jerk you are. What That's what it was. They learned, <laughs> what am I doing? Why am I working? For three years, amazingly. <laughs> exactly. But it was interesting. They came from the outside and you, know, you realized that there was a ceiling with you as a leader. And now we're realizing, all right, we have an actual ceiling because we can't sell any more tickets. So we're looking for that next step. But it's okay. You have to be very clear on who you are and what you stand for. And like, I really want to get into this because it's the culture. You are all about the tribe. And I want to talk difference because there's family and there's tribe and people are very bullish on one or the other. Why are you about the tribe? Everything you talk about is the tribe. Well, sort of. So like we are the number two principle. First is we before me. Second in our company is bring your whole self to work. Yes. So we, we actually explicitly talk about this in our culture Bible. We talk about how family should always be first for you. However you define family, right? It doesn't that have to be like, a mom and a dad and two kids. I define family a million ways. It's fine. Yeah. But like family is first because you cannot get fired from your family. You know, leave your family. You can uh, be disconnected from them. That's fine. But you can get fired from them. You can get fired from this job, right? From a, from a tribe, from a career. You can. So like we don't, I hate people who try and say, oh, our, our company is like a family. I'm like, how many people, my first question always, how many people you fired? What? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm mean, you fired out of your family. None. Okay. So shut that, shut up. Like that's a lie. And I hate that. So you say so you say a business can't be a family. No, absolutely cannot be. Absolutely not. You can love people you work with. You can think of them as family. You can get so close to them that they basically become family. But they are not the same thing. And if you pretend they are, you are lying to yourself and to them. You are gaslighting. Mm. Uh, like I can't fire my kids from being my kids. Yes. And not necessarily that I want, although my two and a half year old is getting close. Like she's pushing me a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> no, but like it's, they're always going to be my kids, mm -hmm. right? You know, Brittany, 
who is our director of operations now, may not be, and she will be here probably forever, but like it's conceivable she won't be the director of operations next year, right? Okay, so they're not the same thing. And saying they are is a lie. And that's the only way you control people is to lie to them. And we will not, it's one of them. That's like the fifth principle, tell your tribe the truth. We will not lie here. Absolutely, unequivocally not. So, but to get to your question, I don't believe though, Here's the thing is people, you're right. Most people talk about either family or tribe. I don't think the two things are mutually exclusive. So the way that we talk about this here is that for all of us, we have kind of three circles, right? First is family. Second is self. Now, some people maybe put self first in front of family, and there's a good argument for that. Either way, family and self are first and second, either order. Where's tribe? We're never more than third. But then you say we over never higher than third because it's so good you brought this up. This is in the culture Bible. Um, because when you are operating in your role as a tribe member, then it's we before me, right? But in the context of your life, you are always the star of your own life and should always be the star of your own life. And you should never put the tribe in front of yourself in your life. But when you're doing tribe business, you put tribe first. And it does. It seems like a paradox. Most life lessons are paradoxes at their very core, right? And so, like, we always talk about that. Like, in your role in the tribe, you're always putting tribe first, but this is still your life. And you come first in your own life, and you should never, ever put anything ahead of your own life outside of your own family and how you define that. And then that still is a very personal decision on how you deal with that. Okay. We got there. I like that. So the culture Bible, obviously we got to get into that, but you told me something at MMT, you go, you know, I think we're going to be a company that people don't leave. And that's such a fascinating argument, Tucker, because I think every company wants that. But then you got arguments like the Alliance and Reed Hoffman, who says you form an alliance for two years with your people and then they leave and you help them. Why do you believe people will never leave you guys? Well, so what Reed is doing is very different than what we're doing, right? I don't even necessarily disagree with Reed. It's sort of like pizza is fine and burgers are fine. They're just different, right? Although I will tell you in the long run, I think what Reed is doing is polishing a turd. What he advocates is he's trying to take a system that is at its core dysfunctional and broken and hateful and dehumanizing and trying to make it as good as possible for people. And so that's great. Good for him. I just disagree with the entire fucking system. And so what we're trying to build is something totally different. I don't believe in reforming systems. I I believe in building new systems. And so we're trying to build a company that literally completely upends the way we look at humans, that humans come first, that people come first, that the entire point of business is to serve people, both Clients in us as authors, for you, it's fans and spectators. Uh, I hate, I don't like the word stakeholder, but I can understand why people use it. But for us, the, the whole point is people, right? Whether it's, it's our, the people who pay us, the people that work here, or the people that we pay, like freelancers. Everything is about people. Whereas Reed is operating in a system, and I don't mean we're all, I'm capitalist to the core too. I absolutely believe in free markets. He's operating in a corporate system that is at its core dehumanizing. This is my favorite thing to talk about, and no one wants to talk about this. Do you know how um, Western corporate structures, where they got their roots from, where they developed out of? Do you know the lineage of thought? Like, 
you can look in the 20th century and see like, you know, like uh, Peter Drucker and people like that. Who Peter Drucker was great. I and mean, then he kind of started from W. Edwards Demling or other people who, who kind of came out of, um, you know, the industrial era. But if you look at the, the industrial thinkers, who did they look to for inspiration on how to organize work in an industrial setting? Do you know? No, I'm very intrigued though. Slaveholders. <laughs> plantations. You think I'm kidding. Google Harvard Business Review plantations and see what comes up. It's the first article. There's a woman who got her tenure based showing the clear lineage of, because you got to remember, and not just in America, America has a long history of slavery, but we actually have a very short history of slavery compared to most places that have thousands of years of history of slavery. I mean, you go to India, China, all kinds of places. There is a long, long documented history of not just slavery, but how to, the economics of running a plantation. When you had a 5,000 acre, let's say, 400 slave plantation in Georgia, that's a major business. You don't just run that willy-nilly. You bring in people, not, and I'm not talking about overseers in the field. The dude with the whip was a thug and an idiot. I'm talking about the guy in the house with the abacus, I guess, at the time, and the ledger, right? Those guys had to know what the hell they were doing, and they did. And there was a way, there was a very clear formula on how to run a plantation. And it has basically become the framework that first the factories were run on and then corporations. And at the core, the framework is humans are a resource. Think about the, what do you call the people department? Human resources. Like humans are coal or iron? Like what the hell is this, man? No, humans are the point. And companies are not built and run so that humans are the point, right? And this is not a capitalist thing. This is not a socialist thing. I mean, God knows no one treats humans worse than, so, than uh, socialists. And just look at Venezuela or the entire Cold War. This is not capitalism versus socialism. This boils down to how are you structuring power and who is serving who? And I have never met anyone. That's why JT came. One of the big reasons why he is the true embodiment of servant leadership. And the vision that I laid out was the absolute apotheosis of servant leadership. And the reality was I was the wrong guy to lead it. I just had the vision. He's the right guy to lead. I never thought we'd be talking about slavery on uh, this episode going in about uh, employee experience, but you went there. But, you know, it's a full circle because you are so driven. You have such purpose and passion behind this that obviously... You sold the vision to JT and you sold it to your team. And so obviously that's a huge step as a leader. You have to be so convicted in your beliefs. That's why I love Walt Disney and what he did. He could get up and do a performance in front of people and they would be in and they don't even know what they bought or what they're doing. So my thing with you, Tucker, is now, how are you doing this? Because A, your culture, I think you call it the Bible, the culture Bible, the culture document. You put it out for everyone to see it. It's brilliant, 30 pages. Everyone can add to it. And you know, I think one of the biggest things in there that you've talked about is you have the values and the principles, but it's the whole self. And I think this bringing whole self to work is fascinating. No one's doing it. They're not their real self when they show up to work. They go home, they become this person they want to be. That's a core tenet of modern American work is self and work, uh, personal and work are, are separate. Yes. A core tenant. Yes. So how are you doing it? 
this is not something it's funny, man. This might be the first podcast I've ever truly talked about this on, man. Honestly. And we haven't talked about this a lot publicly. You know, it's on the culture Bible. We talk about a lot in interview. I just did five interviews today with potential new tribe members. And we I talked about deeply talked about it with all of them. But like um we don't talk about it a lot publicly. It's not to hide it. It's because there's all the fear shit, right? Okay, like put that aside for a second. We can talk about fear and creation if you want. But the reason we don't talk about this publicly is because it's really hard to explain, I think. And I'm afraid that we're going to explain it wrong. We're still small enough and we're still new enough. Dude, we're not even 40 people yet, right? And so this is still like a delicate little thing that has not fully become what we hope it will be. And also like, I mean, dude, like, oh, you got your cute $20 million business, you know, in the scale of American business, we are fully on a dog's ass, right? Like, I mean, just because of what we do in books and stuff like that. And we work with people like David Goggins and Tiffany Haddish and Joey Coleman and people like you, who like, you know, like in your bubble have gotten a lot of attention. We get a lot more attention than most $20 million businesses. But like, um, I'll talk about it, man. But like, I'm just going to warn you and your listeners, um, this is going to sound crazy and it's going to sound really weird. And it's going to sound like something from like, I don't know, an alien planet or hippy dippy shit or whatever. Right. I'll talk about it. All right. So what do we do? First, it starts at the top. Absolutely. This is not a policy to write, uh, you know, write up and put in your user manual in no way, shape or form. This starts at the very top with the two founders and the CEO. And the three of us, when we show up here, we show up in all ways and not just working hard. Like, I'll give you an example of what it means to show up fully. So it started with me and our offsites. I used to talk about, we would do this thing and we still do it called strengths and obstacles, where we would sit, we sit in a circle and the person who we're talking about, like, let's say it's me. Everyone would talk about, they'd tell me, Tucker, you're really, really good at uh, seeing to the core of issues. And like you cut through all the bullshit and you, you can figure out what's going on immediately. And then you tell them what their strength is and then you give them an example, like a story. I remember when you X showed me why, right? And you tell it to them. You don't say it about them, right? And so literally, every, we go around until everyone's kind of said their things about you, about your strengths. And basically what it is, is it's, what you, it's almost what you would say about someone at their funeral, hmm. but you're saying it about them when they're alive to their face. And so most people have never, ever heard this shit in their life. And so that alone is a really deeply moving experience. Then that person has to talk about their objectives, right? First, they start with what are your self-objectives? What do you want for yourself? Then what do you want for your relationships? And then what do you want from your work? Work's third, because like I said, self, family, relationships, family, same thing, and work. And then we kind of talk about that, get really clear on what you want. And then everyone tells you what the obstacles they see are to you getting what you want, right? So if I want to be a great leader, they would say things like, dude, your anger just consumes you. You get too angry. You get too, like it frightens me or whatever, right? Uh, whatever. And, but, and like, but the thing is, we started just Zach and I doing this to each other. And then the early people we hired, like, that's amazing. Can I do that too? And we would do it with them. And so it was the culture here. Like they would see Zach say like really razor sharp, almost hurtful things to me. 
And I'd be like, yeah, no, I think I can see it. Or I'd argue with them and we'd figure it out. And so they're like, okay, this is a place where I can be honest and vulnerable. And so they all started doing it, right? And so that's what it starts at the top, right? And then once we really got into it, then we started going deeper. And so we really dive into what our objectives are. So it's like, I want to be closer to my wife. Okay, well, what, Tucker, what does that mean? How are you not close to her? And so we would really start to open up and talk about this stuff. And I'll tell you when it really cracked open. When the CEO, when JT sat, we were about 25, 28 when this happened. He sat and told us, we were going through objectives. Like it was in a sort of an offsite. We were all kind of, uh, it was an appropriate moment, right? But we're all um, talking and he was the guy. And he said he wanted, I forget what the objective was, but I, I said, why? Like I dug in and he like, you know, when you ever see someone emotionally shift, he shifted and he's like, all right. And so he told us a story about how he had been sexually assaulted as a kid, as an eight-year-old. And dude, I mean, you could have heard a mouse fart in that room. And I didn't like freak out. I didn't back off. It's like, okay, we're going to sit with this and we're going to deal with it and talk about it. And this was not a raw thing for him. It was, he kind of processed it. Like he dealt with it, but he never shared it. He, ne- he said he never shared it with anyone but his wife. And he didn't know he shared it with the whole company. And it was this incredible cathartic moment, man. And after that, then it became the standard now that like the people who want to share stuff, share it, right? And dude, after that speech, I'll never forget it. We have a guy who's ex-Marine Force Recon. So like a badass Marine, right? I guess there are no <laughs> Marine or uh, not badass Marines, but he's like an extra badass Marine. And um, he came to me and he goes, dude, I've never seen, this guy's you know, in his 50s, worked all kinds of jobs, business, everything. He's like, I have never seen any like this in my life. Forget work. I've never seen anything like this anywhere. He's like, I'll tell you what, I would follow that man into hell. Like, Jay, talking about JT, <laughs> not me, obviously. Talking about JT, right? And like, I'm almost crying thinking about it, man, because like, after that, man, it was like, we were already really close, but then it became a different thing here, man. Again, not a family, but you know what it became at that moment? And it's just been, that was about a year and a half ago, and it's more and more. Imagine that you worked with people who saw you for who you are and accepted you for who you are and cared about you and wanted you to get better. That was what we created. But the only way to do it is at the very top. You've got to do that first. You've got to take all those steps first. You've got to love your people. You've got to care about them. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to go into your hard places in front of them and authentically and real so that they see it and then they feel like, yes, I can do this as well. If he's doing it, how can I not do it, right? And if you don't do that, you can't expect anyone else to do it. And that's how we bring whole self is we, the leaders show up with it and then everyone else feels safe to do it. I love that, Tucker, because it's the root of everything. You have your 10 principles, you have your values, and everyone can see the culture document we'll share. But it's the root of the top guy bearing it all. And I'll tell you, you know, it's my first experience at MMT this past year. And I heard Philip McKernan talk. And I read that. I told him, I read that that night. I literally came back, read it the whole night and came to him. And I told him later, I flew from MMT to a, um, a conference and was a keynote speaker. And I opened up and shared how when I was a kid and my parents were divorced when I was eight years old, my mother had a drug problem and I was alone. My dad fought for me, got me custody, but I was alone all the time. And he would ask Jesse, how was the day? And I would lie and say, I rode my bike to Alex's house or John's house. And, and I lied. And I share on that stage in front of that group, how that made me want to belong and be a part of people and be together. 
And I came back that Monday and shared it to my staff. Now, that's how I opened the staff meeting. A tough way to start a Monday morning staff meeting. But uh, the reality was I watched Marie, our fans first director, a few of our people get emotional. And they're like, we never knew that about you. It makes so much sense why you care so much about creating this love at the ballpark and making people feel like they belong. And that's why you do everything. And it happened because of that conference and realizing Philip. And then we did that crazy exercise they did in jail where we're hugging each other and telling the truth. That is the core of everything. You can have principles, you can have guides, but if you're not leader and you're not throwing yourself out there and doing it from a place of like, this is me, your people won't do it as well. And I think that's probably the most important piece from this whole, whole talk, Tucker, is that it starts there. Yeah. So it's funny you bring up McCarnan. We did his book, right? Yeah. And uh, he thinks One Last Talk, I agree with him, is like an amazing thing. So, so your readers can know One Last Talk is uh, basically, it's like TED for emotions is what I call it. And it's a very simple speech prompt. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would you say and who would you say it to? Now go say it now, right? And so like, as soon as you hear it, you get goosebumps like, oh man. And so we just added one last talk to our repertoire here, like to our offsites. So Philip, we passed the book out. Everyone in the company read it. A bunch of people volunteered to do theirs. We had four people go. Philip came, flew in and facilitated, right? Have you had Philip on your podcast yet? Because you need no, to- I need to, I need to talk with him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So strengths and what I just described strengths and obstacles was amazing, right? And that is amazing. It is a profound emotional experience for people to have everyone that knows them so well tell them the strengths and then tell them the things that they think they have to improve to get what they want. Like souls are open. But there is a different thing, man, when you give your one last talk. And we had four people do it. And I mean, the whole company was like in tears the whole time. And it was all four of those people's lives fundamentally changed. We had a girl talk about she's black. And she talked about basically like all the self-loathing that came from that because she went to like rich white private boarding schools and all the issues she's dealt with that. She never talked about that in public before. Another guy talked about like growing up without a dad and the way his mom like gaslighted him, all this stuff. And like, Dude, it was mind-blowing, man. It was like, there's just an element about that. And all four of those people, like, we don't do it for this reason. All four of those people have gone from, they do great, good jobs. They're like rocketing in their jobs now. Like, they're way better at their jobs. Their personal lives have already opened up. It's like, we're doing this every, at least every six months now. And everyone in the company is probably going to end up doing one. Well, they're not, they're not holding back, Tucker. I mean, it's so simple. They're not holding back. And you look at everyone, all of us, even as leaders, we're still holding back. But once you take that off, you rip that Band-Aid, I I can't imagine. So like I said, I told you at MMT, I was like, you need to put your book out. And you're like, oh, we're still a small company. We're growing. But like, this needs to be shared, Tucker. And I'm so glad that you're sharing it because like every company needs to do it. But it's scary as hell because I'll tell you, that exercise that we did that I shared briefly, the uh, prison exercise where you step forward. Step forward and back. Dude, I get the questions from her and I'm like, I go, I'm like, we got to do this. And then I'm like, Emily, my wife is like, Jesse, our group's not ready for that yet. Like, that's really deep. And this fear holds you back. But it's like, what would happen if you do do it? Some people may say, you know what, this company's not for me. But maybe some people will say they'll be here now, like you said. So I don't know. It's it's, it's powerful stuff. So let me tell you how you do it in your company, man. Like, you've already taken the first step, like standing on that stage and talking about that stuff. I mean this in no offense. Everyone's a sheep. No sheep will be the first through the gate, but all of them will be second. So what you need to do 
is go through that gate first, right? And so like, you've already done it a little bit with your speech. I actually think one last talk might be a better framework for most companies. What we do with strengths and obstacles, we're in the process of, we actually just, it's funny, Zach just facilitated another company doing it with buddies of his. And they did kind of a little bit of a pared down version and it blew the doors off of the company. Like all these conversations that they weren't having, all of a sudden, like the next week, the whole company changed. Everyone started talking. There were all these unsaid things that really helped. So we're going to, I think, formalize our framework a little bit so we can teach it to others. But I think either one of the two things, or maybe both combined, you might want to do one last talk with your company and kind of like what you talked about, like, and really do it though, man, like really do it. Maybe even bring Philip in, but you go first. Like you got to go first, man. And maybe your wife goes second. So when the whole team sees our two leaders, when they stand up and they have that much courage, it's like, how do I not, you know? I mean, like, what is the number one maxim of every military leader? Lead from the front. Like if they, everyone wants to do that, man, but most people need to see someone else first to know it's safe. 100%. So if you go over first, man, if you go over first, I'll bet you your team's going to follow. You know, the powerful thing that I've seen, Tucker, and I'm sure you, as soon as I started sharing that, whether it's in speeches, whether it's people, they immediately come to me, hey, I went through something similar, or I had this happen. And when you get people permission to share, whew, everything comes off and they're being that. So, you know, this whole self guide is, I know we're going deep on it. It started with slavery, then ended up at whole self, a great transition for you, Tucker, like there. Um, I guess I'm going to a question because Marie, our fans first director, and she's really focused right. on our internal people, all culture. We map the experience for our people, just similar to what you do. And her question, so I was like, hey, I'm talking to Tucker. She's already talked to Greg. She loved talking to Greg. Everyone on your team, by the way, we work with Zach on getting more books and he's been great too. Everyone's wonderful. She asked, she's wondering me, how do you ensure that the best aspects of your culture scale? Like as you grow, how are you making sure that it, because that's a big concern for her as we're growing. How do you make sure it scales? All right. So it's a really good question. And so again, we're at 40 people. So I don't want to act like I'm a expert. I hate people who are like, oh yeah, let me tell you how to build a billion dollar business and you live in your car. Shut up. Like you don't know what you're talking about, right? But we have scaled to 40 very successfully. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get to 75 smoothly. Above that, we'll see. So there's a couple things we've learned. The first thing is you must write down what you believe, right? Like you can do it a million different ways. There's a lot of ways to write about culture and to talk about culture and to put it down. I hesitate to tell anyone how to do it because I just did it. I'm a writer. So I started writing and our culture Bible evolved over four years, but I've always been the author. If you read it, it has one voice. It's not a corporate amalgamation. Like you can tell I wrote it, which I actually think is important, but culture has a voice that your document has a voice, but really what it needs to be is very simple. So like we have a 30 page doc, but all of our people can tell you exactly what our four values and our 10 principles are. Very, because it's very simple to remember all of them. You know, like gla- um, your glass is already broken. Always tell your tribe the truth. We before me, bring your whole self to work. Uh, work like an owner. Like they can name them all, right? Because they're all memorable and they all understand what they mean and how they apply to their lives, right? So like write it all down, make it deeply applicable. All of them need to be tied to stories so that people understand exactly. I mean, these are all basic narrative techniques, right? So that's a part of it. Let's simplify it. Have a record of what you believe, and it's got to be really easily memorable and applicable, right? Those are the first two um, of how you get it to scale. Then 
the leaders must embody all of that culture or it's all bullshit, all of it. Because every company has a culture, whether it's explicit or implicit, you have it, right? And every company's culture is what the leader tolerates. Every single one, right? So what you tolerate is your culture, not what you say your culture is. It is what you tolerate, right? It is the lowest common denominator of what you tolerate. And so JT, like there are so many things we no tolerance for here because we cannot have any of that in our culture, right? And I tell you- Give some examples though. What are some things you don't tolerate? That's not my job. Mm -hmm. Get, Get out. Get out. No, I'm serious. Like you're fired now. Get out. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, of course, a, like, that's not my job is a different thing than, like, people also need to stay in their lanes and not step on other people. But, like, if you see trash on the floor, you don't pick it up. That, that's not my job. Get out. Well, there's so many. Like, it, you're just like, well, you know, like, if everything's about you, then we don't tolerate it, right? If you don't embody, literally, the only thing you have to agree on if you work here, if you're a part of the tribe, you're signing up that you live the, the culture Bible. And if you don't, you're gone. We have zero tolerance for that. Just quickly go through the onboarding. Where does the culture Bible come into the process when you're starting? Oh, dude, it's the first thing in onboarding. Okay. Like when you start with our company, you have a full day of onboarding that has nothing to do with your job. Yes. Nothing. It is the culture. It is the backstory. It is the lay of the land. We actually have, you're going to love this, dude. We learned this the hard way. We had to deprogram corporate trauma out of people who came from corporate jobs. So we actually, I'm not kidding. I can send you the deck. Love it. We have a deck, the corporate trauma rehab course. And I run it and I run people through like the 15 things that they're going to see. They're going to freak them out, right? You're going to see people crying in meetings. That's not a bad thing, right? Usually, sometimes it is, but usually it's not. You're going to see people sharing deep emotional stuff that you might think is awkward. That's normal here. Like we don't tell anyone to believe the culture on faith. We tell them don't believe it until you feel it, not just see it, but you feel it. You don't have to take any of this on faith. We tell them if you see us being hypocrites, your job is to call it out. Hmm. If you don't call it out, you're actually violating the culture, right? What are some of the other corporate ones? Um, no, no the, the, it, it's awesome. I, I think it's, it's so key because here's what I learned. Tucker, I'll share this with you. The four people that left all came from the outside. Everyone yeah, else that with us started as interns, including myself, including our president. They started interns. They got to know the culture for three to six months and they bought in. We had someone come like, from the top cruise line in the country. They had all this structure. It doesn't work. No and so no. we're learning. It's no. like, we're just going to build our intern program. And just keep building it so they can understand the culture. So that was the next point I was going to get to uh, before you rudely interrupted. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, My then, uh, no, I know, I'm messing with you. Uh, that was the next point, though, for real, though, is hiring. Like, you can build the greatest culture. You can get everyone on board. They can all be living it. If you hire a bunch of birds, all hell will break loose, Rude right? So, but I'll tell you, though, if you have a great culture, your culture acts as an immune system against bad hiring. Yes. Right? So we do have, and I know this is true, because for a good two years, we had a great culture and poor hiring practices. <laughs> and so like JT fired nine of the 11 that were here when he got here. He was right to fire them all. Zach and I were wrong to hire them. 
And then like half of the people that we've hired since he came, we've had to get rid of. And because like, it's not so much because the culture evolved. It's because we do a pretty decent job messaging our culture. And we get a lot of people who like, we had to learn how to do this. We had to really improve our hiring process because we got, everyone wants to work here. It's like a huge thing to work here. And so people will lie and like, I'm not saying they're consciously lying. They're lying to themselves, right? And so they'll do anything to come on because like getting hired is the finish line. And we're like, no, getting hired is not even, it's not even the end of the beginning. It's the beginning, right? And so that's what I always tell people now is that like, what, you know what the catch to the culture is? Like what? And they try and figure it out. I'm like, the catch is that it's real. And that when you get here, you have to do all of them and you have to live this. You have to bring your whole self to work, right? And I don't mean like, you know, your first day, we're going to start asking you about your mom and dad and make you cry or something. It's not like that at all. But like what happens when you're around all these people who are vulnerable and who are open about their stuff and who are trying, doing great job at work, but also like really trying to improve their lives and talking about that openly. Like we have channels on Slack called therapy, lessons learned, like all this sort of stuff. And like when you're around that, if you're not doing it, that is a mirror that you're holding up to your soul. And you're going to have to face just by definition of being around people who are facing their demons and dealing with them, not beating them, just dealing because you can't really beat it. You just deal with it, right? If you're not doing it with yours, well, that cognitive dissonance will break you. And so we have a huge number of people who come in who skill fit wise are killers, amazing. Over, they're un- overqualified and they come in and they are gone in six months or three months or nine months because they don't know how to actually connect with themselves. They don't know how to take care of themselves. They don't know how to love themselves. They don't know how to be loved. They, and they aren't willing to face hard truths about themselves, mm-hmm. right? Which is not, it's not like I'm going around being like, okay, let me tell you what's wrong with you. It's not, we don't even do strengths and obstacles now until someone's been with the tribe for a year and a half. Like you have to be here before we Wait, even how, do how that. How often do you do the retreats though? Every six months. Okay. But every, also you mentioned whole self guide. Doesn't everyone have an accountability partner as well? Yeah. So we started to, cause everyone loved strengths and obstacles. And so now like they wanted more. So what you do now is after you've been with the tribe for six months and you've been to a summit, like an offsite, then, and you, so that way you kind of know people, right? And we know you. Then you get to pick three people and uh, they're what we call a whole self guy. And so it's kind of like a mini strengths and obstacles and they pick you. So it's double opt-in, right? So if we work together and you picked me and I said, yeah, I love Jesse, let's do it. Then every month we would sit together for about 90 minutes. You would go over what are your goals, self relationships work. And then we have like basically four questions. What do you want? Why do you want that? What's it going to look like when you have it? And what's your plan to get it? And my job as your guide is not really to give you advice. My job is to be the mirror, to make sure like everything makes sense and it's aligned. You know, I hold you accountable and then I make sure you're being realistic and authentic, right? And it's not therapy. It's almost like having a life coach, right? But your life coach, it's never your boss. That's the only rules. It can't be, we don't say we have bosses here. We say direct uh, support. So it can never be the person you report to your direct support. It can be anyone else in the company, except me or JT. We're the only ones that you can't, just because we like, we don't, It'd be unfair if people have us and like other people don't. So like, um, we want this to be more peer to peer. Mm. And so like, so what's ended up emerging, man, is that like people's lives when they come here, if you're willing to face your, even slowly, it's fine, super slowly, no problem. But if you're willing to step up and face your, 
you basically transform your life here. I love it. It's, I mean, I've just seen it over and over and over. No, I love it. I love it. And I want to just finish up and over our time, get to the ninth inning here. But I want to say this, this is interesting, Tiger. When people are willing to talk, I could talk about this culture and people for hours. And I think here's a good test to test if a company has a good culture. Will their leaders talk about their culture and people over and over again? If they won't, if they go more to their product or more to their business and they're not talking about the people, they don't have a good culture. And I think that's just a summer realization right now. So... So I'll tell you the other test. Talk to the team and see what they say. So there's a reason. People who know culture know that. And there's a reason why we interviewed all the different tribe members, a bunch of them. We've got like, I don't know, 15 or 20 that extended two-hour interviews and put the interviews on YouTube. Yes. Right? These aren't actors, man. Like, these are all real people. Go watch the interviews and you can see the emotion. You can see the real in them. And you'll also notice they basically all say, not the exact same thing, like this isn't a cult, but they all say they hit the same points, which tells you two things. We message well internally and it's real. 100%. And you also did a great video, which we copied from you, which I hope you uh, appreciate us copying your stuff. But <laughs> Dude, everyone copied. Yeah, that yeah, that's how we build the business. Why should people not work for your company? So we've interviewed all our people doing that, started putting that out. Tucker, you'll appreciate this. So we just put an ad out. I wrote, do not apply for this job. And I gave all the reasons on why people should not apply. And of course, I got a ton of traction. But we push people out. You have to do a future resume with us. You have to do a video cover letter and how you fit to the fans first way. We have like hundreds of applicants, but only a handful does the three steps because we're pushing people yeah. out. So it's fascinating. Yeah. All right, Tucker, I've been grilling you. So I'm going to let you flip the script for one second. You are the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question. All right. <laughs> I got to ask you this, man, because this annoys the shit out of me. This is going to seem really petty. I'll just admit straight up, it's petty. Okay. Um, but I have to. I have to ask you. <laughs> I, have to. I love so, this. Um, this is a great setup. I get the yellow suit and the bananas and all that. I think it's great. It's a great shtick. Uh, you should totally keep doing it. It fits you, right? But dude, man, your hat is all old and ratty and it's peeled up. Like, can't you just buy a new one that's smooth? Like, it makes I just you want to, I just want to confirm. This is the question. Can I get a new hat? Yeah. Yes. Why? No. Here's my question. There's two questions. One, why don't you tailor the yellow suit? But yeah, I like the yellow suit. Why don't you get it tailored? And two, why don't you have lots of those because they can't be expensive. Lots of the hats so that way you can sub them out so they don't have the pilled up fuzz on them. All right, great question. All right, so here's the deal. I have seven of them, okay? Now I bought all the cheap ones at brightcolortuxedos.com. They went out of business. They're no longer there. My seventh, all right, here's the deal. This, you like this. My seventh, our staff actually behind my back got one tailored, found my sizes, got a local tailor to custom make one for me because they said, we don't want you looking like a clown anymore when you're out speaking. And so they actually, this is my, I didn't have any speaking engagement. So this is the go around the ballpark day. When I'm speaking, I wear the custom one. And during the summer, because it's 100 degrees out, I wear this one. But you know, what's interesting, Tucker, you talk about whole self. And I shared this, I interviewed Jason last week, Jason Gaynard. And um, I was nervous. I wear this every day, wherever I go. When I went to MMT, I talked to a few of the people that went and they said, no, 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 don't wear that. Just be regular. Well, this is my whole self. This is what I wear all the time. And so I was scared to wear it. I told people I wear it at airports. That was one of the mistakes I made because I wasn't bringing my whole self. This is my whole self. So at Cabo at next MMT, I'm coming as this. I don't care if you're like, you didn't wear it last year. Like that's me. Well, you know, I have a question. Why don't you wear like a 
bananas jersey or Savannah banana sh- white shirt beneath instead of the yellow frilly thing in the middle, you know, like the button down. Because then people will know why you have a yellow outfit on. Whereas, like, I see in the airport, I'm like, what's wrong with this dude? Is it Dumb and Dumber Day? Like, like what's he doing? I get a lot of those. You know, it's funny. I've been wearing this for seven years before there were the bananas. Because I believe, really? yeah, we had another team and I believed in the show. And obviously my whole thing is believing and standing out and being different. So yes, I need a better hat. I'll work on that. But uh, yeah, I think there's some bananas branding we could do. But anyway. Just the shirt. I would just put the t-shirt underneath that said Savannah Bananas. Okay. Then it's like, okay, I get it. The dude's talking his book. It's great. Then it's like, <laughs> I get it. No, but seriously, man, like I actually did at MMT. I, I never followed through. I had it in my notes. Like I got to go buy Jesse a yellow hat that's like not pilled up. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work on it. All right. Hey, I usually finish with the final four, but I just, one thing I just want to ask is, you know, what would you tell people? What's the best thing you would say as far as how do you stand out in business and in life? This is going to sound really simplistic, but it's true. The way to stand out in life is to work really hard, do a good job, do what you say, because that puts you automatically, if you do those things, puts you in the top five or 10%. I love it. And then finally, We've talked a lot about people and I can see where your heart is, which is amazing because people probably judge people different on the outside. That happens a lot. Oh, dude, a hundred percent. And me too. They're like, what, the, what is wrong with this guy? But at the root of it, you know who you are and people that are close to you know who you are. How do you want to be remembered? One of my favorite sayings, man, is that no man is better than the judgment of his children. So honestly, dude, like the thing I care the most about is what is my relationship like with my children and my wife? I don't want to say everything else is insignificant. Everything else is kind of dust in the wind. You know, like all I really want, man, is like when I die and hopefully it's, I'm well into my eighties, but when I die, I want to be surrounded by my kids and my wife and a lot of other people who are really sad to see me go and who feel like that my death leaves a hole. Right. And if that's the case, then that means I will have done my job. Awesome, man. As someone who just had a son this past year, I know exactly where you're coming from. Thank you, Tucker. And I think for everyone who's following here, what's amazing about you guys on your website, you share as much about becoming an author and working through Scribe as about joining the tribe. And I think very few companies do that. And it's really a focus on people both ways. But how else can people learn more about what you're doing? You want to work with us to write a book? You need someone to help you write a book? You actually go to... There are different sites. Go to scribewriting.com. If you want to potentially work with us, scribemedia.com. Love it. Brilliant stuff. Tucker, thanks so much, man. Thanks, brother. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guest and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still. Start standing out.